0: No one knows what will happen on election day, but we do know this is likely to be the most divisive election of our lives. And that makes No Labels' mission to bring people together across the political spectrum even more important. Today, No Labels leaders will discuss our work to cultivate a bipartisan swing block in the House and Senate, and how we are working to generate support from Americans across the country. Let's listen in. So very simply, when we wake up after election day, there's only three ways this can go. Uh, We're
1: either going to have unified party control of one side or the other, or we're going to have divided government. And in either of those scenarios, you can actually see things getting very badly, very quickly. Uh, I know at this point, it seems pretty unlikely there'd be a full suite on the the right side, but you could have a democratic suite. uh, And depending on how big big that is, the progressive left will see that as its mandate to push through everything on their wish list. Green New Deal, Medicare for All, and natural gas, and on down the line. Um, if we have divided government, we'll be sitting here in January with a very tenuous economy, probably still dealing with COVID. And we'll need to get things done. And of course, as we're seeing right now, the default option of Washington is gridlock. How do you deal with that? That brings us to our next slide. Uh, and what No Labels is trying to do. We need a bipartisan swing faction of reasonable and responsible leaders who can either Uh, do the tough work and take the tough votes uh, to, in a bipartisan way, solve our toughest problems, or in some cases, uh, preventing some really bad ideas uh, from moving forward and moving the legislative process into a more productive direction. As you all know, this is what we're trying to build. And it brings us to our next slide. And a lot of you are familiar with this concept. We're working our way through three phases. Phase one, House Problem Solvers concept, uh, uh, Problem Solvers Caucus. We built it. It's established. uh, And if Liz goes to the next slide, Uh, you can see here um, the progress we've made now across uh, two uh, Congresses. Uh, That the the first Congress was very much about this caucus getting established and setting its rules of engagement and standards of behavior. And on the right side here, you can see some pretty consequential achievements be it uh, the the trade deal, criminal justice reform, the anti-BDS resolution, and the central role that this group has played uh, from the outset of this COVID pandemic. So with the house problem solvers cemented, we are now moving to the Senate and that's our next slide. So we're very excited about this emerging group that is starting to come together. A lot of you are familiar with these senators and, and know what we're doing here, but now for the first time, We have this group of eight that is going to be working uh, increasingly with one another and with their colleagues uh, in the House Problem Solvers Caucus. Uh, The ambition for this is, some of you remember our wonderful chairman, Senator Lieberman. He would pair off into those gangs with Senator McCain several years ago. Well, this is the new gang with the difference being, instead of this group just getting together at a moment of crisis, we want them meeting regularly with one another and with their House problem solvers. In the end game for this group, and that takes us to our next slide, you get to early 2021, and if you have 50 votes uh, in the House, uh, and oh, that should say, sorry, we got a little grammar error there, we'll fix that, it should say, uh, oh no, it is, 50 votes in the Senate, that's correct. Uh, 218 in the House, that's what it takes for a bill to become law. Uh, if you have 50 House problem solvers and eight senators sticking together, It depends on the majority and how big it is. But odds are, if that group hangs together, they can be the swing faction. They can decide what moves and what does not. The question is, will they stick together? And that takes us to our next slide. Uh, And that speaks to the importance of what we're doing here. This no labels cabinet we're building to provide the financial support uh, for uh, members uh, who exhibit this kind of leadership. I don't think I have to belabor to this group why this is so important. I think we all know that for this group to, to stick together, it is hard. It is politically risky. A lot of you just saw one of our House Problem Solvers Caucus uh, co-chairs, Josh Gottheimer, go through a primary um, explicitly because of this kind of work he does here. The the more this group does, uh, the more they hang together, um, the more that's going to happen and the more we need to Support them. And so that takes me to just my last couple slides here, and this is phase three. This is uh, for those of you who've done strategic planning. This is we're into the stretch goal uh, of our um, uh, our presentation. But if we actually think back, when we thought about building the House Problem Solvers Caucus, that was a stretch goal. That felt impossible. And so we want to lay down this marker because we know that the way you complete this, the way you actually get problem solving, is it's got to happen at every level of government. And that just takes me to the next slide, which is there's two ways we think we can do this that can influence um, the the direction of 2024. So number one is building up what is in effect a talent bank for the government. Imagine if you have 50 house problem solvers, eight senators, and then you've got a couple hundred people populated in the senior, senior ranks of an administration in 2024 who really believe in this kind of politics, that can be transformative, uh, and, and, and that's something we're starting to think about how we build over time because we have built up such an exceptional network. I mean, we could probably just take all the people Liz has had on our four o'clock call, see if we can get them in the next cabinet. We'd have a pretty good group to start with. Um, and then the second thing is, if we, we, as you know, we've never gotten involved in, in, in an endorsement uh, on the presidential level. We all know the reasons for that. But you can see a scenario getting towards 2024 where either it is at the end of President Trump's second term, and he of course can't serve again, or it's the end of uh, Joe Biden's first term and he's 84 years old and he may not run again. In either case, there may be an opportunity, especially given the assets that No Labels has built up in New Hampshire, for us to pick a problem solver on both sides and see if we can't get a little wind in their sails. And so that just brings us to our last slide. Um, and, and I think this sort of this is a really important point to make. No labels, fortunately, although we like to think of ourselves as very scrappy and operating uh, like a startup, uh, we are much further along uh, than a startup. We have a proof of concept. It works. The House problem solvers, we are applying that model to the Senate. And so we don't really have to wonder if, if the concept works. It does. We just have to take it to scale and put the proper amount of investment behind it. So with that, um, I'll stop there. Andy, hand it back over to you, and happy to uh, open up our discussion.
2: Uh, great. You know what? Uh, first of all, uh, great, great job, Ryan. Very, very clear uh, and thoughtful. Uh, rather than opening it up now, why don't we? Uh, why don't I turn it over to uh, our friend and leader, Admiral Dennis Blair, for uh, his quick comments, uh, and then uh, uh, we'll take it from there. Uh, Admiral Blair.
3: Sure. Thanks. Uh- Andy, I, I think this is really a hinge moment for no labels in, in which we shift from a scrappy organization that knows in general where we're going and finds opportunities and jumps jumps on them. Uh, we take that transition step to having a an overall strategy to achieving our vision, to reaching our goals, which is actually making improvements in these big, tough, Problems that the country faces if it's to remain competitive in the world, if it's to provide a good living for its people, whether it be immigration, education, infrastructure, uh, social security, the national debt. I mean, we we all know that those are the the big uh, the big things we have to fix in this country if this is going to be a country that uh, continues to set the pace for the world, or whether we just fade away after a few short years. And I think that now we have the uh, an idea of how to get to a set of structures with problem solvers in the house in the senate in the in the presidency and in the administration uh, that we can actually cause a address all of these huge problems that we have papered over played politics with in the past so i think from a strategy point of view we uh, for the first time we really have a classic strategy which relates ends to means and achieves our vision. And, uh, it's just a case now of making our individual tactical decisions, fitting our efforts into the plan, uh, moving forward. And, and we're writing a, a very strong, a very strong, uh, strategy here. So look forward to being a part of it.
2: Thank you, Dennis. Great. Great to have you with us. Uh, let me turn it over now to Charlie Black, who's again, one of our, um, great thinkers. Uh, Charlie knows more about how the machine inside the beltway works uh, than uh, just about anyone.
4: So, uh, Charlie, let me turn it over to you. Thank you, Andy. Um, Let me just say that it's a huge accomplishment to have gotten these eight senators, four Democrats and four Republicans together, and to agree to work together in the future, no matter who has the majority in the Senate, they will. Uh, Also very important is the House problem solvers and our Senate group talk and meet together. And so they're not independently coming up with uh, issue positions or trying to solve problems, but they're working together on it. So that's something that we can provide the swing votes for in the House. The Senators will already be on board for that. So this is a great accomplishment. We're moving forward. Uh, But my main message is that the house problem solvers and these senators are being asked to stand up to the leaders of their own party they have to do that to succeed so they have to have support from us to make sure that they can win their own elections whether the party leaders like them or not thank you
2: thanks charlie um I uh, uh, I want to open it up uh, for questions. Just just one one thing I want to uh, underscore in, in what uh, Charlie said. Um, uh, what happens in the bicamerals in, in some ways is is quite magical, and uh, it it really is uh, what government government and governing is supposed to be about. Um, for any of you who have had an opportunity to observe, uh, uh, these are uh, open and honest dialogues. Uh, and, and as trust is built, media and media discussions uh, take place. Um, I know for some of you, uh, as you look at uh, those eight who have aligned uh, with us and other senators who join us periodically, uh, some of them may not align with your own uh, uh, political preferences. They may not align uh, with uh, some of your uh, beliefs. but. What brings them together and what makes them individuals worthy of all of our support is the fact they have committed to bipartisanship. They've committed to getting in the room and engaging in constructive dialogue leading to bipartisan problem solving. And that, that is what we are working so hard uh, to support. And with your help, uh, we can provide that counterbalance to the polarization that we face. Um, we're going to open it up now. Uh, let me just give a hello to uh, uh, to Dan Lipinski, uh, one of our uh, uh, members of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Uh, Dan, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, great to great to have you with us. Uh, w- one last uh, person I want to recognize and maybe we'll get a few words out of him, Glenn, uh, Glenn Lowenstein, another one of our leaders who has played a central role in building our uh, regional uh, cabinets uh, yeah, thank you, Andy. And um,
5: just a few comments. The um, Because what Ryan and Charlie and the Admiral talked about, and and Andy, was what's going on inside the Beltway. And I like that term, the machine inside the Beltway. And what we're really building is a machine outside the Beltway. The tactical component that supports the, the courage that's going on inside the Beltway. And so... Just to give you a status, two years ago, this was essentially four cities with a small group of of donors. They had 16 cities, and we just added San Antonio, so 17 cities with almost 300 donors. And so the only comment I wanna make that I see happening every single time we're on a city call or a four o'clock call is the trust between this group on the phone and the problem solvers in the house and eventually in the senate is growing and every Ms. mulvaney said it the other day when we asked him would you give us any advice he said look i was part of a group that held back republican congressmen because they didn't vote the way we wanted to you need to have their backs and so my really only only point on this is that all of us that aren't involved in the
2: inside the beltway have to really um, take that to heart if we want this to work. Thanks, Andy. Thank, thank you, Glenn. Thanks for your terrific leadership. Uh, so uh, here are the rules of engagement. Uh, you've got a chat button at the bottom of your screen. Uh, I know you're all Zoom experts by now. Um, uh, just chat uh, to Liz Morrison. Let her know you have a question, and then we'll we'll call on you. Um, but before we do that, uh, there's only one individual I'm aware of uh, who uh, can match um, uh, our friend David Brooks uh, in terms of intellectual horsepower and, and clarity uh, of communication. And that's our own Bill Galston. Uh, so Bill, let me let me just turn it over to you for a few comments, and then we're going to open it up for questions. Uh, Bill?
6: Well, there have been a number of previous speakers, uh, so I'll keep it very short. Uh, You all know, based on the presentation that Ryan gave, backed by others, what the strategy is. But you may be asking yourselves, why now? I've got a lot of other things going on, including a bunch of candidates that I'm already supporting and want to continue to support. Why is this so important right now? And here's at least my answer to that question. Uh, to the extent that I've never seen before, you know, our country is now enmeshed in a series of interlocking crises, a healthcare crisis, an economic crisis, a social crisis, and progress on those crises is being blocked by the fourth crisis. And that is a political crisis, the inability of our institutions to get together across party lines to do what needs to be done to chart a steady, sustainable course out of our current difficulties. And only the strategy that's been laid before you in the past few minutes holds out any realistic hope of doing that sustainable policy in the United States, going back to the creation, has almost always required cooperation across lines of partisan division. If policy is made by one party, it is likely to be undone by the next party as soon as that party has a chance. And in the interim, the party that has is holding the short stick will do everything it can to obstruct and delay. You expect people to be together for the flight. They obviously have to be on board at the takeoff. And that strategy is what our problem solvers are all about, what this new Senate block is all about, and what no labels strategy is all about. And it cannot possibly succeed, and it certainly can't succeed fast enough without your unswerving support over the next six to 12 months, which may be the important six to t- most important six to 12 months in the history of the modern America Republic. Modern American Republic, the stakes are that high and you have an historic opportunity to make a really
7: big difference.
2: Thanks, Bill, appreciate those comments. Uh, let's open it up now. Uh, I know we've got a number of questions lining up. I'm gonna begin with Andy Gottesman. My only request is, uh, Please don't use the microphone as an opportunity for your stump speech. Uh, quick questions uh, will enable uh, quick responses and more people sharing the stage. And Andy, perfect
7: uh, So I will. Um, I'll voice a concern that I guess I can turn into a question for for Ryan and Charlie, especially. I agree. We've been doing great work. I agree that everybody needs to give to all eight Senate candidates, regardless of whether they really agree with all eight Senate candidates. What I've been getting very concerned about the last couple of weeks is that if all three branches, I'm sorry, if the House, the Senate, and the White House do go blue, that our job and the job of the Problem Solvers Caucus, the 25 Democrats, and the four Democrats in the Senate, is going to be that much harder because there's going to be enormous pressure on them from leadership, finally in the leadership and finally in the majority on both sides to conform very, very strongly. And I think it's going to be a real test for, for us and for them as the first time that the organization has really been strong when there's one party in power to, to hold the line uh-huh. against that. And I'd like to know your thoughts about that. In a sense, what I'm saying is as bad as things are right now for the country and for Congress, in a sense, it's easier for us because they need each other. And I'm extremely concerned about what happens when they don't need each other.
2: Great question, Andy. Uh, Charlie, let me turn that one over to you if I could.
4: Um a very important question. Uh the odds are if you voted today, all three branches of government would become democratic. Uh the very likely would be a move by Senate Democrats to change the filibuster rule to allow legislative policy, legislation to be passed with fifty-one votes instead of the sixty that's now required. With the sixty vote requirement, it encourages bipartisanship and you almost always have some uh, bipartisan uh, activity on really big issues. This just means if that happens, that our group, our Senate block, as we call it, is even more important than ever. Now, the problem solvers in the House, the Democratic problem solvers in the House, stood up to Speaker Pelosi. They withheld votes from her becoming Speaker until they got some very important rules changes in the House, uh, and that wasn't popular with her. It wasn't popular with the left. Uh, somebody mentioned that Josh Gottheimer had a very serious primary challenge. Some of the others have, too. But they had the courage and the guts to stand up under that circumstance. I think the senators that we're talking about would do that, too. But as somebody said, they got to know that somebody in big has their back. Well, that's us. None of these folks on our list are people that want real left-wing stuff or real right-wing stuff. They won't solve problems with compromise things. So if we just support their natural instincts, it might work.
2: Thanks, Charlie. Next question, Lynn Schenk.
8: I don't know if there's anybody else on who is a former member the last time we had all three branches, as I was. And I just want to echo that, well, first, let me back up. I was elected without a single dollar from the Democratic Party or any uh, majority uh, leadership party because they didn't think I could win because it was a, a, a Republican district. So I came in pretty uh, unbound to the uh, leadership. And because of the district that I had, uh, you know, I was a moderate then, I'm a moderate now, uh, the pressure to go with the majority is unrelenting i mean i was a nobody freshman i was invited to the white house all the time Uh, i got calls from uh, ambassador mondale who when i was his white house fellow didn't know my name it was unrelenting to vote for uh, various administration and majority uh, leadership bills so what i'm trying to say is that it's not it's not just the money we have to figure out some strategy to shore up our uh no problems uh, uh caucus members our senators beyond just the money there, there's got to be a safe harbor for them to go to uh we created seven of us created our own you know sort of the attaboy, boy a atta girl you know hang in there it there's got to be more and i think we can do that i mean i can't come up with the, the answer right this minute but I think we need to work on that. What kind of support can we give beyond money?
2: Great, thanks, Lynn. Appreciate it. Uh, next up, uh, Jay Minkoff.
9: You know, there's great rules that have been put in place for the problem solvers to vote as a block. You know that that if they all, 75% of them agree, that they all vote as a, that they all vote together, that they won't run against each other. But there, there's certain
2: background understandings that they have, what background understandings, if any, um, have the eight senators agreed to? Great, Thanks, Jay. It's a great, great question. Uh, I'd begin, I'm going to turn it over to Ryan in just a second. I'd begin by saying one of the most important observations is that uh, there are two houses of Congress, uh, but they're very different in almost every way. And uh, uh, with that said, Ryan, why don't you, uh, why don't you provide your response? Um, Jay, that's a, that's a great question. And two quick points on that. I mean, as Andy
1: noted, um, the Senate is a different animal from the House. So, so for example, the Senate just does not have his, uh, caucuses. Um, for historic reasons, there's fewer members. And as one of the Senate members uh, shared with us, they, they said, look, every senator thinks they're their own island. So, there's, so, so I don't think it's a realistic expectation that, for example, they'd get to some sort of voting threshold. In the same way um, the House members do. The Senate just doesn't work like that. What I would say is we are going to try to work them up a chain of growing accountability over time in the same way we did with the House problem solvers. Now, now what that's going to be, we've talked about, you know, Andy, you know this. We've talked about the idea that they would agree to um, co-sponsor a certain amount of legislation uh, with colleagues in the House Problem Solvers talk, uh, or they, uh, you know, there'd be a meeting cadence they'd be meeting. And so we absolutely want to move them up the, that chain of being more accountable to one another. If you think about the House Problem Solvers, the way they started, it just started with some meetings and there was really no strings attached. And then suddenly they started to work together and they formed this formal caucus. And over time, we sort of ratcheted up at each, each step what it meant to be a member in good standing in that caucus. We're still on the front end of that in the Senate, but we're going we're gonna to get there.
2: I would add two observations to that. Uh, one is um, uh, what I think our senators have already seen is that their power is enhanced to the extent they can present legislation that has uh, bipartisan support in the House. Uh, Bill Cassidy has mentioned this on several occasions, and uh, and I think he shared that with his Senate colleagues that this is a tool that the Senate uh, the senators can use uh, to enhance their capacity and their stature. I think the other thing that that uh, I, I I am hopeful and and optimistic will occur is some of that policing is going to come from within. Um, We have serious uh, folks who have joined us from the Senate and they didn't join us uh, because they needed us to market for them. Uh, They joined us because uh, they think that this is a tool that can help them uh, get legislation moving forward. And so my hope and expectation is we're going to see uh, uh, policing from their own. Uh, we're going to see folks like, uh, uh, Bill Cassidy and, and, uh, um, and others, uh, stand up and say to their peers, look, uh, we're here purposely. We need you not only to engage, uh, but we need you to carry this out on, uh, uh, position a or position B as it comes to the floor. So, um, I, I, th- I think we're going to see that discipline as, uh, we demonstrate the value of this engagement, uh, Senator by Senator. Let me turn it over now to a question from Alan George. Thank you. Uh, Great presentation. I have one observation and question that follows up on that. Um, This is a great organization. What we've done is terrific, um, and you know I'm wholeheartedly behind it. And what I wonder is how we expand the organization and how what the process has been. It may very well be something in
3: place that I'm not aware of. But I'm wondering whether that presentation that we just saw would be something that each one of us on a staggered basis bring one friend to who we may think may be involved. I know several people I've talked to about this. I got into this because Greg Mutz introduced me in Chicago to
2: it. Um, So I'm wondering how we expand and deepen the organization practically speaking and at the same time um, providing more financial uh, backing at the same time. Uh, uh, Glenn, uh, why don't I turn that over to you. You're you're spearheading a good bit of the effort in in terms of building out these cities. Uh, what are your thoughts on that topic? So it, it really boils down
5: to the city structure. What we have going right now in these six, 17 cities is there's a city leader. That city leader generally reaches out to three to six people and that becomes the core of the city uh, nucleus. And those three to six people are reaching out to eight to 10 people. And, and we've been, You know, uh, it's a great question because we're building this train as it goes. And so, you know, the admiral described the the overall strategy. The machine outside the beltway is literally being built as we're moving. And so that's what we have in place now. And there's questions about how much do we market? How broadly do we market? Right now, where where we are at, it it is a word of mouth city by city, person by person kind of hand-to-hand combat model, and uh, and this, I'm just going to throw this out. We haven't really discussed this, but I think maybe there does need to be a small group of people who are specialists in marketing outside of the Beltway to help with this process. It, it, this fundraising, the city uh, creation is about eight months old in its totality. There were a few cities before. And so I think that's the status and where it goes from here will be a working process.
2: Thanks, Glenn. I, I, I just note um, uh, it, it's not just about the money. Uh, the money obviously is is uh, the fuel that drives the car. But um, having uh, 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 folks like each of you around the country uh, that demonstrate to our colleagues in Congress that uh, we have supporters coast-to-coast, city-to-city, business leaders, community leaders, uh, people formerly uh, uh, perhaps in government uh, who are committed to this cause is a powerful statement. Um, And, you know, there's an opportunity, as many of you have experienced, to engage directly with these uh, congressional uh, leaders uh, to bring them uh, your point of view from the field, and so, I, I think uh, an important part of what we're talking about here, and Lynn, Lynn sort of referred to it as well in her comments, uh, we, we can show support in many ways, and there are going to be opportunities to do so. <laughs> Obviously, the money is important, but having this national network built and demonstrating support in town halls when they come home uh, and otherwise is, is an important uh, role for all of us to play. Uh, let me turn it over now, if I could, to uh, Joey Cummings. Joey, the question is
10: yours. Uh what, if any issues, are you having uh, recruiting young congresspeople, men and women, uh, and how can, uh, has it been difficult, I, it, it, the more diversity the better is, you know, a place that I think is really important to get to within and without. So talk to me about what's going on with those two things, youth and diversity.
2: Sure. I'll, I'll give you a few thoughts and, and I may ask Nancy to comment here, but um, I, in some ways it's a lot easier to get our young uh, uh, congressmen than our old ones. Um, you know, that what I've seen in, in the in the uh, newest class of, of members of the house is that uh, they're disproportionately represented by young people who have grown up serving the country in government roles, in the military, um, in the CIA and the FBI. And they are genuinely committed in a in a very authentic way uh, to giving back and to serving the country. And they come to Washington with that mindset, and it's powerful. And and I think many of them get uh, frustrated immediately with the recognition that uh, what they sort of identified in their uh, in their minds as their purpose uh, is blocked at the door because of the control of leadership. And so we become a natural magnet for particularly young uh, uh, emerging leaders who want to get things done. Um, And uh, I can just tell you from my own experience, uh, among our strongest uh, leaders are uh, uh, women in the House. Um, We have some just extraordinarily talented uh, women, uh, two in in particular that I'll I'll mention to you, Elaine Luria and Abigail Spanberger, both of Virginia, uh, both first-term congressmen. Uh, Elaine was uh, uh, a long career in the military, commanded naval vessels. Abigail Spanberger uh, spent uh, the first part of her career in the CIA. Uh, They came uh, to Washington uh, to continue their service, and with those backgrounds, they came uh, with uh, steel skins and ice water in their veins, and they have just been uh, powerful uh, leaders in in the caucus. Nancy, do you want to comment any any further on the challenges in in recruiting uh, members?
11: Well, members, I think you're you're right. And in terms of this network, we're really focused on this. And I know Glenn, that's that's something that we like to think a lot in terms of our city leadership. How do we get more women, minorities, other other people, young young people? So it, it's I don't think we have figured it all out yet. And I'll, if anybody has Ideas, please email me directly. Uh, but Glenn, I think it's something that we're going to be talking more and more with our city leadership to sort of start this on the city level. Um, you want to comment, Glenn?
5: Yeah, when I say um, have their backs, I really do mean two things. I mean uh, money and relationships because a lot of people are coming to um, the labels with a lot of existing relationships. And so um, I mean, even as we speak right now in Texas, um, under the no-labels umbrella,
7: there's a a move to really
5: support Senator Cornyn, and it's just a fabulous thing because what he's seen is all the people involved in this mission, and bipartisan legislation is lasting legislation, and, you know, he gets a check, and, and I think Andy's point is right. It doesn't change his life, but it sure the people with the check and the message is really powerful for him, and I think it'll be for the other senators. So it's a combination of both.
11: Yeah, but Joey, I'd just say this. You're new to us, so I, I don't know you. I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to have continue that conversation. I think we've got to focus more on that effort of bringing in more diversity. So anybody else that's interested, but I'd
10: love to have a conversation with you and start well- so Love to. I also wanted to say I thought the suggestion that tell a friend, uh, I just learned about you a week ago because of Kathy Jones. And I immediately said, wow, what a great name. What a great effort. I told only two people and they say, tell me more. Mm So um, just the idea of what you're doing in the circumstance that we're uh, living right now is people are like really interested and the one thing I'd say, Andy, is next Tuesday at
11: 3:30 will be our first introduction to the four, four of the eight Senate partners. And so we would really love all of you to bring a friend uh, to sort of witness witness this. this. This will be the first time they meet our group. I mean, my hope is we'll have 200 people on, uh, but that'll be a great great opportunity to bring people. Liz, great. send out info.
2: Joey, thanks thanks for the question. Uh, Steve Finkelman, you're up next.
9: I have two quick, um, one very quick comment. I think on the slide, with the 75% rule, I think it needs a little bit more depth on that one because all of us know what the rule is, but I think if you look at that slide, I think it just says 75%, so if you show it to somebody else, it doesn't even say consensus. I think you need a few more words on there to explain. Um, the other thing, Ryan said that this was like a, a like for the next year, a year and a half, and um, I'm a little pain I'm putting on my my no labels hat here because there's some really good people I care about in the Senate list who are, you know, frankly are, you know very endangered. So um I'm not sure this is a deck that we're using to help us get through because I think keeping him intact is a key objective of ours. Is this a a a four month campaign for us? Or is it if it's a year or longer? I'm not sure that slide that that slide would be as appropriate.
2: Thanks, Steve. Ryan, you want
1: to comment? Uh, Yeah, Steve, thanks. That's great feedback. Um, We can absolutely put a little more detail in that uh, 75% slide number. And, um, yeah, I mean, to be clear, we are still very much in a sprint uh, to get the support we need for these members, uh, you know, uh, to get through November. And, of course, our group of eight has a lot of members that if they don't get through, they won't be with us. I mean, we all know there's a couple of those senators, Senator Collins in particular, we
2: have a really tough race, uh, and we've got to do everything we can to support them. Thanks, Ryan, and thanks for the question,
12: Steve. Um, next up is uh, Pamela Humphrey. Hi. Hi. Uh, thank you for this. I tell you, no labels is the highlight of my week. Um, <laughs> so I have a question. Has anybody ever reached out to uh, the young Republican organizations, young Democrat organizations, which are made up often on campuses and um, colleges and universities. Um, I would think that um, that might be an interesting source if anybody knows the leadership of those two organizations or similar organizations where young people are involved politically.
2: Nancy, you want to take
9: that?
12: Yeah, no, that's a great idea, and that's something, Liz,
11: we should look um, to do. You know, the question is, do we start offering separate programming uh, and create a whole separate, separate channel, which which we could do. You know, we've never tried tried that. Um, and Liz, that that is something that we should think about, and, and especially in this period right now, where kids aren't necessarily in school, they may want to come together in a Zoom format. So we'll we'll follow up on that. Thanks. Yeah. For that. Well, that that
12: also includes, by the way, um, there are organizations of minorities. You know, there are organizations of black young black conservatives and you know young black uh, Democrats that um, might be very interested in this. Uh, they're walking the middle of the road, also. So. And any
11: help you want to you know is. As you'll see, everybody that you've heard from, far maybe Ryan, we're all volunteers, right? So we definitely look for people to get in here and come alongside us. So if there's if that's a project you want to help work on with us, we'd love it.
12: Be happy to.
11: Okay, Liz, we'll.
2: Pamela, thank thanks for that uh, that notion. Um, uh,
8: could I could I just interject on that because sure. I did do it. I tried on the campus here in San Diego with the Young Democrats. And uh, let me just say it was not a successful event. They were very, very, very adamant about supporting the what now we call progressives and the progressive agenda and were not interested in compromise. In fact, booed me when I talked about consensus, compromise, negotiation, trying to give them sort of feel of what it's like. It, it, It was Well, maybe that was just this one campus, and maybe you'll find something else, somewhere else. But it was a a huge waste of time in terms of what we're trying to achieve, unfortunately.
2: Thanks, Lynn. Next question, uh, Robert Zadig.
9: Thank you so much. Uh, And this is, it's interesting that you asked me to speak right after after Lynn, because our comments are going to be similar, although mine will be a question. no labels there, as i perceive it uh, its primary raison d'etre is as a antidote to gridlock and it makes a lot of sense it is a perfect antidote to gridlock in a likely result of this upcoming election is not gridlock it's one-party government and My observation I'm neither a Democrat nor Republican, I'm a libertarian, that's kind of irrelevant. um, But how effective, no labels, its whole reason for existence is not as a counterbalance to one party government. A one party government kind of doesn't need any help, and it has the tool of the primary to brush away like an annoying little gnat anybody who is not in the program in a primary they have enormous tools and enormous wealth to counter even the counter extremism with attempt to counter with moderation. so how effective could no labels be when it's trying to be a cure for one one party governance versus a cure for gridlock I would pray for gridlock in the next election.
2: Robert, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, Bill, can I put you on the spot and ask you to give your thoughts?
6: <laughs> you sure can, because I was actually gonna volunteer to take that question. Uh, and let me just do a little political history. You know, a lot of us have studied the New Deal where one party got into the seat of power and pretty much stayed there uh for 20 years uh the american politics doesn't work that way anymore so let's just review the bidding okay bill clinton was swept in in 1993 as the head of unified government that lasted precisely two years uh the same thing happened george w bush was reelected in 2005. Uh, he he took that as a mandate to do some things that weren't terribly popular with the country, like privatizing Social Security. And his second term lasted for two years. Barack Obama came in as the head of a unified government that lasted exactly two years. Donald Trump came in. As the head of a unified government. That lasted two years. Noticing a pattern here? Uh, American politics now has a new default setting and that default setting is divided government because one party government typically goes off the rails in one direction or another and the American people pay attention and they punish it. Now the problem The problem with this two years and out scenario is that it makes it extremely difficult to govern the country on a sustained basis. And we really have paid the price for that as a country. So one party government does not in any way end or contradict No Label's mission. It's just another form of it because the need for bipartisanship plays out over time in that scenario and we've learned what happens when a party gets the bit between its teeth and ignores the existence of 40 or 45 or even 48 percent of the country it does not last it cannot last which is why making sure it doesn't happen even under unified government is a very important contribution that we can make to the steady, sustainable legislative course and policy course that we need now more than ever.
2: Thanks, Bill. Um, uh, David uh, Vanier, uh, you're up.
12: Yeah. Thank you. Um, my my question actually is looking at some some easy wins that can push the name of no labels in a in a greater scope are there some
2: some projects or some some ideas that no labels can espouse and push forward
12: especially you know across the caucus and and the rest
2: just to get easy chalk ups uh and and one thing i'm thinking about are are for example voter registrations I'm, i'm a binational of another country where if you don't vote uh you get fined and eventually you end up in jail uh and and i find that you know when more people vote, more compromises are made between governments. So my question basically is, are there easy wins we can uh, uh, adopt and espouse and carry forward which will help uh, uh, spread the message? Thanks, David. I'm, Ryan, I'm going to turn it over to you in a second, but, but I, I just make two sort of uh, 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 comments. Uh, one is I don't think there are any wins that are easy. Uh, that's just the nature of where we are and things that uh, if we all voted and we we said, is, is this particular issue partisan, uh, we would all vote no and it would, it, would, it would end up nonetheless being a partisan issue. Uh, secondly, one of the remarkable things we've seen in the Problem Solvers Caucus uh, of this vintage is they don't shy away from the tough issues. Um, uh, I, I think part of the mantra is, look, if we're going to spend our time on something, let's spend our time on something that matters. And so uh, they, they, um, uh, they largely set the agenda, at least in the Problem Solvers Caucus, about where they think there's an opportunity. They don't shy away from the tough ones. But Ryan, let me turn it over to you for maybe a more wholesome response.
1: Sure, Andy. I mean, the, the two things I'd add is, um, you know, we've learned pretty, pretty, uh, pretty well in this organization that some of the really boring Kind of inside baseball <coughs> parliamentary things have a really outsized impact on policy outcomes and so everybody here knows we had a lot of success with the rules package that the problem solvers pushed through in the last Congress. Uh, most notably the 290 rule which allows any bill with 209 sponsors to get to the floor. so number one the house problem solvers are starting to think through now what is a subsequent package of rule changes that they could try to push for That would, just as the previous rule change, make it easier to get bipartisan bills on the floor, to get bipartisan amendments, and ultimately to get a bipartisan bill. And we are starting to talk about a similar effort in the Senate. I know there's been a lot of talk about the filibuster. um, And uh, one of the things that we actually saw with this policing reform issue is I think, as as some of you know, you can actually – there's two points where you can filibuster a bill. You can filibuster it. Uh, right before it becomes law or you can filibuster the debate and prevent it from even happening that's what actually happened with the policing the bill uh, bill in the senate um sponsored by senator scott so we've been talking to some of our senate members about what could some potential filibuster reforms look like uh, so um i think that if you look at in the near term look congress needs to get this coronavirus relief bill Maybe they can get a policing bill done. Our group is talking about that. And then you're really into the election and must pass legislation. So I think looking over the horizon um, or, you know, as Andy noted, all the wounds are tough, but they're a little, you know, smaller. Some of these rule reforms could make a big difference and our groups are looking on that.
2: Thanks, Ryan. I, I, let me just make one uh, maybe tangential comment. Um, one of the more important roles that we play at No Labels Uh, and it reflects the maturing and the credibility of this organization, is we have become the convener. And the truth is uh, we can bring people into the room uh, in a fashion that I think is increasingly rare uh, in Washington. As Ryan mentioned uh, on uh, uh, the policing uh, uh, issue and and more broadly racial justice, uh, we had at our last bicameral, Tim Scott, uh, joined us for, what was a very thoughtful conversation with a number of uh, uh, his Senate colleagues, our our senators and and members of the House. Um, uh, We we had uh, uh, Secretary Mnuchin uh, join us uh, just a week ago uh, for a a very uh, good conversation where a number of our members of the bicameral suggested Uh, elements of the phase four, uh, or elements that should be thought about in the context of the phase four legislation. Uh, In the past, we've had uh, our our good friend, Governor Larry Hogan, uh, who aside from being a very competent uh, uh, governor in Maryland is uh, the chair of the National Governors Association and and can bring that constituency to us. So uh, we are able to convene uh, thought leaders and political leaders uh, from across the spectrum to join us in these conversations and I, I think for all of you I, I want you to know just how uh, important that is and I think what a credit it is to Nancy and, and her team uh, to enable those kinds of conversations. Um, we've got time for uh, a couple last questions. Uh, let me turn it over to Richard Davis. Richard you're up.
13: This may be a little bit of a contrarian question in the sense and I think it's important and how can no labels address the following sort of group of supporters and I'm somebody who as Nancy knows has been involved in no labels since day one the very first meeting but I'm also somebody who believes that the greatest threat to our democratic society and to our institutions is Donald Trump and that hyper-partisanship is second so how do we address the concerns of people like me who feel it's very difficult to support and indeed may be compelled in the, from their own perspective to want to oppose even problem solvers, even Susan Collins, where they feel have not really stepped up to meet the moral challenge of our time.
2: Um, Charlie, you look like you're ready to answer that question. <laughs> I'm going to turn that one over to you.
4: Well, um, first of all, no one of us is going to agree with all these senators on a lot of issues. They disagree themselves on a lot of issues. Um, I must say, Susan Collins has been a friend of mine since before she came to the Senate. She has the courage to stand up and do what she thinks is right. Uh, When it comes to the president, she's had plenty of, of occasions to differ from him and to criticize him. Now, um, you know, the same thing could be said of other senators, I suppose. Um, There may be somebody on this call that's a Trump person that wants to defend him. I won't. But it's very likely whoever's president doesn't matter to us if we have our bipartisan coalitions in both the House and the Senate. We can almost always be the fulcrum for getting compromise, problem solving. Legislation. Um, If I were you, I'd go out and and work hard against Trump, but look at the long term and say I ought to be for these eight senators.
13: Well, I wish I could agree with you about how Susan Collins has conducted herself, but I appreciate uh, your view and and the view of others. And as I say, I've been a strong supporter of no labels since day one in varying capacities and was an early recruiter of members uh the mission is critical whatever happens
4: thank you rich
2: richard thanks for the question and charlie thanks for uh thanks for taking that one um one of my uh most important jobs arguably my most important job is to make sure we end on time particularly late on a friday afternoon uh so um i'm going to turn it uh uh over to uh uh to bill galston to close us out here but uh, let me just say on behalf of, uh, the no labels, uh, organization, um, uh, thank you for being here. Um, let me say on behalf of, uh, many of the supporters, thank you, no labels. Thank you, Nancy and Liz and the team for the extraordinary work, uh, you do. Um, uh, and, uh, in, uh, deference to the comment made earlier about, uh, uh bringing diversity to the equation, I just want to note that. Uh, with the exception of Ryan Clancy, uh, no labels uh, has a powerful group of primarily women uh, who are driving the agenda who are making this all work as uh, many of the more enlightened gentlemen on the phone uh, know uh, if you have a job that's going to require ten men, just hire three women and you'll be done uh, and no labels proves that uh, proves that every day so uh, thank you all for being here, Bill, uh, some happy words to send us to the week. <laughs>
4: yeah,
2: well, I have to say that one of the,
6: one of the questioners, Pam Humphrey made my day. You know, when she said that these no labels meetings are the highlight of her week, quote unquote. And given the eternal groundhog day that we're all trapped in, that's a much lower bar than it used to be. Uh, But I'm glad that we're, I'm glad that we're crossing it. And I hope it's with room to spare. And I hope in the years to come uh, that you'll have other highlights of your week and you won't be so dependent on this, God willing. Uh, Let me just, let me just conclude by amplifying a point that Andy Bersky, who is a superb moderator of these sessions, by the way, thank you, uh, made. And that is that to our surprise, we have turned into a real convener for serious legislative effort. Let me give you two examples that are alive and, and well and in real time right now. Uh, we've known for two months that the Democratic Party bill calls for a trillion dollars in additional assistance to state and local governments. We've learned in the past 24 hours that the Republican counter to that bill will budget exactly zero dollars
9: for that purpose.
6: Well, guess what? There is only one organization that has created an alternative to those two positions in both the House and the senate uh and you know an alternative that is likely in my judgment to carry the day or something very much like it during the give and take of the legislative process we've done that you know our you know our our problem solvers caucus and one of our key senator senators uh, bill cassidy in in partnership across party lines with Bob Menendez of New Jersey have come up with the only strip that this particular airplane can land on, in my judgment. Here's a second convening that's going on in real time. We just learned yesterday that a bill that I had given up for lost, frankly, the police reform bill, which is a really important part of the effort to, to address fundamental social problems in this country, uh, is being negotiated not only between Democrats and Republicans in the House, but also involving, uh, you know, also involving key senators as well. And one of the chairs of the Problem Solvers Caucus said that things had moved much farther in a good direction than he had imagined possible that there was now a serious shot that a compromise can be reached. If that happens and I will clean up Joe Biden's verbiage here, that would be a really big deal. Uh, (laughs) And the, you know, and the problem solvers would be the heroes of that effort. The people who made sure that police reform did not die in 2020. So This is a long-term strategy that we're talking about today, but it's as real as legislation that matters for every American right here and right now. And if not us, who? If not now,
2: when? Thanks so much. Super, Bill. Thank you. And and let me close with a shout out to uh, Andrew Tisch, uh, who... uh, one of our great leaders and is always there uh, for us and for the organization. Uh, Andrew, thanks again for joining us and for all, all you do and all your leadership.
9: Thanks Andy, have a good weekend everyone.
2: Everybody take care, be well, stay safe. We'll
0: see you next week. Right. Bye. Thank you. You just heard No Labels Leaders discuss how we help nurture the House Problem Solvers Caucus, which today features 50 members evenly divided between the parties. Now, No Labels is working with a group of eight Senate partners who are increasingly working with one another and with the House problem solvers. Long term, No Labels also sees a path for a true problem solver president, Democrats and Republicans serving throughout their administration. Go to NoLabels.org to learn more about how we are bringing together a bipartisan group of public and private leaders working to solve America's toughest problems. I'm Ryan Clancy, and this has been an episode of Gridlock Break, a No Labels podcast.